From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. My guest for this episode is Emily Esfahani-Smith. She's the author of The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters. Her writing has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and the Atlantic, and she's a columnist for the new Criterion, as well as editor at Stanford University's Hoover Institution, where she manages the Ben Franklin Circles Project, the goal of which is to build meaning in local communities. She wrote an article in The Atlantic a few years ago that went viral. It's called, There's More to Life Than Being Happy, in which she talked about the vital importance of finding meaning in life and how purpose and meaning do more to make us happy than the actual pursuit of happiness. What we talk about in our conversation is this distinction between meaning and happiness and the four pillars of meaning, and those are belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence. Esfahani Smith gives us some advice, some specific steps that we can take to strengthen each of these four pillars. I learned a lot from this conversation. And I expect that you will, too. Emily, welcome to Work and Life. It's great to be here. The spring semester just began here on the Penn campus, and uh, my course on total leadership started. And and, uh, I'm going to be speaking uh, and asking you about some of the things that we do in our course, because I think it relates very closely and directly to, to what you've written about in your wonderful new book. Your very compelling framework, it's simple and yet profoundly important, rests on the four pillars of belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence, which provides us a a wonderful window into how to discover and create meaning. Can you walk us through these four pillars, uh, these these four pillars, and why you chose them as your focus? Absolutely. I. So I, I wrote my book, uh, The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters, because I wanted to understand what exactly makes life meaningful for people. And so my approach was uh, to, you know, I'm a journalist, so I interviewed a lot of people uh, from all walks of life, from all different parts of the country, about their own stories and ask them what makes life meaningful for them. And in addition to that, as you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a Penn grad, and, and what I studied at Penn was positive psychology, the science of human well-being. And so mm-hmm. as part of my research, I also turned to the social science on meaning and well-being to see what did researchers, what have they found in their uh, in their research on on what makes life meaningful. And I also looked at what the great thinkers of the past have said about this, people from Viktor Frankl to the Buddha to the novelist George Eliot. And I was I, and I started noticing that certain themes came up mm-hmm. again and again 
in the stories and in the philosophy and in the literature on meaning in life. And these four themes are what I call the, the four pillars. So um, belonging is about being in relationships and having connections to others that are defined by um, mutual care and, and valuing one another and treating one another like you matter. A purpose is a goal, a, a top-level goal that organizes your life and that somehow involves making a contribution to others or the world. Yes. Storytelling is the act of taking our our disparate experiences and weaving them into a coherent whole that explains where we came from, who we are, and even where where we're going. And then finally, uh, the pillar of transcendence refers to those experiences of self-loss and encounters with awe and beauty that make us feel very small and yet at the same time Mm -hmm. connected to something much larger than ourselves. Yes, yes. I can recall moments of transcendence in my own life. I'm (laughs) thinking specifically of one where I, I was looking up at the stars and just had that feeling of uh, being so small and yet so much a part of something enormous beyond my comprehension. Yes, I've, I've had that experience too, looking looking at the stars at night. What is it that is distinctive about your approach uh, that that makes it compelling for readers? One of the the distinctive arguments that I'm making is I think that happiness is wonderful and everyone of course wants to be happy but i think that ultimately what people really are aspiring to do is to lead meaningful lives and that we have to choose which of these two goals that we're pursuing and prioritizing in our lives because sometimes uh they can be in conflict with one another and so i think Mm -hmm. what makes my book happiness and meaning uh, can be in conflict you're saying yes yeah, exactly. How exactly. is that? Can, think, can you give an example of how happiness and meaning might be at cross purposes? Um, absolutely. I think, you know, if, if we think about a lot of the, the goals and pursuits that, that drive our lives, like, you know, raising children or uh, trying to become very excellent at a sport or a musical instrument or at our career, um, these are things that can be frustrating and effortful and stressful. They don't breed happiness um, moment to moment, and yet we do them because uh, we think that they, they're worthwhile, that they'll somehow make our lives more meaningful. Uh, there's someone in my book who I talk about, a, a zookeeper uh, at the Detroit Zoo whose name is Ashley Richmond, mm-hmm. and she she spends the majority of her time every day cleaning up animal waste. 80% of her time is spent doing this. And so it's really, it's physically grueling. It's it's unpleasant. Mm -hmm. It can be disgusting even. And yet, even though she's not happy uh, while she's doing this work, she she told me that she derives an enormous sense of meaning from what she does because she understands her purpose to be caring for the animals Mm -hmm. in her charge. And so, so I think in those examples, we can see how uh, happiness and meaning mm-hmm. can be at cross purposes. Yes. So let's talk about belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence. You you gave a brief description of what each of those pillars represents. Um, I'm, I'm sure our listeners would, would be really interested in hearing more about each one, and in particular, how to cultivate these qualities to create a greater sense of meaning uh, in one's life. So let's start with belonging. 
so belonging, um, I think that when, when, we, when most of us think about the relationships that cultivate belonging in our lives, we tend to think about our closest relationships, like to our spouses or to our children, to our parents, to our close friends. And certainly um, those, are, those are ripe opportunities to, to better cultivate belonging. Um, you know, when somebody makes a, a bid for affection, for example, like if, you're, if your husband or wife, you know, reaches out to, to hold your hand, even if you're really busy or working or, or whatever the case may be, to, to reach back and to acknowledge those, those bids for affection, I think are hmm. very important. And these are, and so these are, so a belonging bid for really affection. is about. That, that's a wonderful term. A bid for affection is a, yeah. is a way of, uh, I mean, that's an interesting choice to bid for it. How do you choose? Yeah. Can you say more about how you chose that term? It's very catchy. So I, I, yeah, I got that term from the research of, of John uh, John Gottman, who uh, is a relationship the researcher. and theorist, yeah. Yes, yeah. And so he, he talks about these bids for affection in mm-hmm. the context of a marriage where one person is kind of saying saying something or doing something that requires a response. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, oh, I, I read this interesting story in the paper today. Did you see it? In those, and, and so these moments aren't just confined to marriage. They are the bread and butter of belonging in all of our relationships. It's critically important to to be aware that, that, that we have an imperative to respond affirmatively to other people's bids, because when we don't, um, it, it literally makes their lives feel less meaningful. There's research mm. showing that when people feel ignored or rejected, they, they rate their own lives as less meaningful. Mm-hmm. And these bids, you know, they're not, like I said, they're not just, um, they're not just taking place in our closest relationships. I tell the story of, of one man who cultivates belonging every day with the newspaper vendor that he buys a paper from each morning in New York City. Mm-hmm. And the two of them over the years have, you know, every single morning they see one another, they have a, me- a short, a meaningful conversation where they make one another feel valued instead of just kind mm-hmm. of doing the transactional business of exchanging goods for money. They take a moment to slow down and to acknowledge one another, to express respect for one another. Mm-hmm. And again, these, you know, this is, this is something that we all can do in our lives, whether it's buying something like a newspaper or having a conversation with the person checking us out at the grocery store. Oh, the, ba- the, the opportunities for creating a greater sense of belonging in, in yourself and in others, they, they abound everywhere. Uh, what more do you want to say about that before we move to creating a greater sense of purpose in one's world? I think um, I, just the, the basic takeaway is that belonging is created in these small moments of affection. And I think that we, we all, the more aware we are of how the way we respond to someone affects their sense of belonging, uh, the, more, the more meaning we can be, bring both to their lives and to our own. Yes. And uh, another thing that I think was quite compelling about what you just said was how it is in the small moments. It's it's not yeah. uh, a matter of large-scale transformation that you're talking. Instead, it's about the the you know the very briefest of episodes exactly that the, the, these small episodes can just be so packed with meaning mm-hmm. so let's talk about purpose um w- why is that so important to creating a sense of meaning that it seems like an obvious question but i think the more right. the more compelling one for our listeners is what do you do if you don't have it in your work in your other in the other yeah. parts of your life 
purpose in a lot of ways is the pillar that we probably associate most readily with meaning. In fact, you know, people right. can use the terms meaning and, and purpose interchangeably. Yes, they, um, they do. And you're helping to clarify that. So please. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I, I think, yeah, purpose, I would say, is one of the building blocks, one of the pillars of meaning. Mm-hmm. And it's defined as, you know, a top level goal um, that kind of that organizes your life and that somehow involves a contribution to the and I think that there are some myths about purpose in our culture. Um, I think one of them is that we all have one single capital P purpose that we just have to discover and that once we discover it, we'll, we'll be leading a meaningful life. I think that another myth is that we, you know, the, the purpose has to be some sort of grand pursuit, like working on a cure for cancer or writing the great American novel or mm-hmm. spending time at you know, a monastery or an ashram. And, mm-hmm. and when you do those kind of great things, then that's when you'll finally have found your purpose and be leading a meaningful life. I think that while it's certainly true that those things do contribute to a sense of purpose, that purpose can also be much more local. So, you know, maybe one person's purpose is indeed, you know, working on a cure for cancer, but another person's purpose might be being a good colleague to others at work or being mm-hmm. a good parent or being a good friend. Um, there's a study that I really love that I came across when I was working on this book that showed that when adolescents do chores around the house, like uh, helping take care of their siblings or doing the dishes, that they feel a greater sense of purpose. And the reason is because they're contributing to something that's bigger than themselves. In this case, the smooth operation of a household, helping mm-hmm. their parents out and creating a home. Now, so, do they have to I be... I love that example. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Finish your thought about it and then I have a question. I was just going to say, I love that example because it just shows that purpose is, is kind of at our fingertips. Yes, like belonging. Uh, right. So so in that in that research with adolescents and you know caring for their siblings, do they have to be told that you know the purpose of what they're doing is to is is to build a, a stronger uh, home life that benefits us all or is it or is it become apparent just through the act of caring for one's siblings that 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 outcome that's and that purpose and thereby greater meaning becomes revealed to them I think that in the study that they they weren't told that it wasn't framed for them in that way that they were mm-hmm. doing the chores and that later on self-reporting that they had a greater sense of purpose. So it's kind of this I implicit it just thing going on. Yeah. Well, yeah and exactly. the reason I'm asking, of course, is, you know, for parents who are listening and they're trying to get their uh, their children to, to be more cooperative and, uh, yeah. you know, is, is, is how to make that sense of uh, meaning and, uh, and deriving from a greater purpose and contributing to the household welfare and well-being, uh, how you make that known in such a way that they're, you know, motivated to actually do that. No, absolutely. And I think that, you know, there's other research showing that when you kind of tie um, tie what you're doing to some sort of larger goal, like, you know, telling the adolescents in this case that what you're doing is, is part of something bigger, you know, the, you know, creating a home together, that people do indeed feel more motivated and do a better job or more productive at what they're doing. This is Stu Friedman. You're listening to Work and Life, and I'm speaking with Emily Esfahani-Smith. In the first part of our conversation, we talked about 
the distinction between meaning and happiness and talked about the first two of the four pillars of happiness, and those are belonging and purpose. Next, we talk about storytelling. Fascinating aspect of building meaning. And finally, transcendence. And we close the episode with some specific suggestions for what you can do, what we all can do to build meaning into our lives. All right. So there's, there's, um, there's belonging, there's purpose, there's storytelling, the third pillar. Tell us about storytelling and how people can cultivate their skill uh, in building that pillar. Storytelling was, in, in many ways, the, the most unexpected pillar and also um, the hardest one, you know, for me to kind of wrap my mind around. It, it's, it's a little bit unlike the other pillars. Um, so storytelling is almost, um, it's, it's, it's about how we understand our own lives. You know, the other pillars are kind of more active and about what we do, where storytelling is about reflection and being able, in, in, instead of kind of thinking that our experiences are random and disconnected, being able to do together in some sort of narrative or personal mythology that explains who we are and where we came from. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's particularly important when we're, um, when we're kind of grappling with some of the more painful chapters of our life story to be able to make sense of them. Another, another way to think about storytelling is the mm-hmm. act of sense making. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what does that mean? So what, what that means is, you know, think, I mean, if you if you think about maybe an experience that that you've had that was difficult or um, even traumatic or adverse, um, you know, we, we spend a lot of time ruminating on these experiences and processing them because they represent a, a break in our life story or something unusual that was unexpected. Mm-hmm. And the act of sense making is basically the act of trying to understand why did this happen? How did it all? Am I a different person because of it? Am I a better person because of it? Is my life in some ways better or worse? Um, even though it was very difficult and painful, were there some benefits that emerged from it? So all of these, um, all of these questions are part of the storytelling process. And mm-hmm. there's research showing that when people sit down and spend 15 minutes a day for three to four days writing about the most upsetting experiences of their lives and probing into the causes and consequences and and why it happened and how it may have changed them, that they actually um, experience greater physical health and emotional health, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, another way to think about that is that they're able to kind of move forward after the trauma in a in a productive way. They somehow integrate it into their identity and, and who they are and are becoming. Exactly, exactly. So um Dan But it McAdams takes that work. That, it takes that work of, of reflection and and articulating the not just the episode but its its uh its implications for who who one is and and what your values and beliefs are that 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 are, that emerge from from those episodes. That that that's that's absolutely right. It's it's you know storytelling may be one of the maybe the hardest pillar uh, in the sense that it, it it is hard work and it can be painful work and it can take you years before you kind of reach a sense of peace and resolution about the, the more difficult parts of your life. Yes, 
You know, I, I mentioned earlier that we started our total leadership class today, and the very first thing that people did and wrote about was uh, the critical episodes in their life history, and and to share one uh, and to say exactly what you have described here. What happened? What did it mean? How do you understand mm-hmm. it now? And how did it shape you and, and express to others what you care about most. Uh, This is a window into identifying who you are, what's important to you. And uh, it's, it's, of course, riveting to hear other people speak about those aspects of their lives that are particularly the painful episodes, especially if they are able to reflect on those episodes and to and to talk about them in retrospect. Uh, yeah. with a sense of not just distance but insight as to what the meaning uh, of the of that part of their lives uh, holds for them now. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think one of the reasons why storytelling is such a powerful part of our culture and, you know, part of the human experience since the dawn of human consciousness is because yes. you, those stories are, are so riveting. And because w- when we hear other people's stories, we gain we understand them more deeply and we also kind of come to understand ourselves more deeply as well. Of course. This is why we read novels and and go to movies and uh, (laughs) the great plays. I I, want to make sure we get to the fourth. There's, there's so much richness here in your ideas and in your wonderful book, the power of meaning Uh, the fourth pillar transcendence. Tell us about the idea of transcendence that you were able to um, distill down to its essence uh, in in your book and and how how listeners can cultivate that aspect of their lives and meaning in their lives. The word transcend means to step beyond or to go beyond. So transcendent experiences are these experiences that we have where we kind of rise above ordinary waking consciousness and feel connected to something sacred something deeper, something that feels more real to us. Those are kind of the classic types of words and and, uh, and feelings that people have when they have transcendent experiences. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's. I think that transcendent experiences, there's an association here with, with, with religious and spiritual experiences. There's, you can have these experiences while you're meditating or praying. One of the people I interviewed talked about how he was in the Buddhist monastery and one day during his meditation, his sense of self just completely fell away, he said, like like a veil that just dissolved. And he felt connected to everything around him. And this wellspring of compassion rose within him. And, and, the, and so, you know, th- these experiences are very much associated with religion and may even be what gave rise to religion and, and spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you can also experience them outside of a religious context, the the great American uh, transcendentalist Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote often about how nature was a portal to the transcendent and how when he was walking in the woods, he felt his sense of self diminished. He felt like he said a transparent eyeball and mean egoism vanished, he said. And during Could you that, repeat that? Felt, I, I didn't catch that. The, the last yes, phrase. His mean egoism vanished. So it's kind of the the lower part of himself, that mm-hmm. the egotistical part of himself, um, vanished as he felt connected to something much bigger. Mm. So, so nature and religion, and also, like you said, you know, sitting underneath the stars, 
even, you know, listening to music, viewing art, these are all ways that we can feel connected to, to something bigger than ourselves and gain some perspective about our relationship with the world that we live in. So as, as we just have a couple more minutes here, uh, Emily, how would you um, advise listeners uh, who are interested in crafting greater meaning in their lives in terms of how to approach uh, the, the challenge, the quest, if you will, uh, which mm-hmm. might put some people off because it seems uh, kind of soft and fuzzy, uh, even though, as you demonstrate in your book so well, there are real tangible benefits to having a greater sense of meaning in one's life. Where do you begin if you're stuck in a rut now and, and you, you're thinking, yeah, I could use more meaning in my life. What do I do? The first thing I think to realize is is that living a meaningful life is all about connecting and contributing to something that's bigger than you are. So if you feel like you're stuck in a in a rut, ask yourself, you know, what what's one thing that I can do today to make the life of somebody else better? Um, and I think that as soon as you start getting into that other focused mindset, that you'll see that, you know, there are innumerable opportunities for us to contribute to others. Um, for us to cultivate belonging um, with others, and that these are kind of the first steps that we can take towards leading a meaningful life. Well, you've offered us uh, a, a lot of things to think about in in your book, The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters. You, you've got uh, just a wonderful uh, fabric of uh, different ideas and wisdom from many different sources that, that really makes these uh, these pillars come to life in a way that one can see how to uh, to grow them. Emily, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you and learning about your, your wonderful work. It, it's been a pleasure for me as well. Thank you so much for having me. To find out more about Emily Esfahani-Smith and her new book, The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters, you can follow her, as I do, on Twitter. That's E-M-S-Fahani-Smith. Uh, let me spell that for you. E-M-E-S-F-A-H-A-N-I-Smith. All one word. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Emily Esfahani-Smith in which we talked about the four pillars of meaning, belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence. The big takeaway for me from this concise, compelling, well-researched, and highly readable book is that there are some really easy-to-use and apply ideas about how we can build greater meaning into our lives. And it's worthwhile to do so because it helps us to find harmony among the different parts of life. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio Powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader 
have a richer life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.